Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, and Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, 20, and 21. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Deuteronomy, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was a lucky, lucky man growing up as a little boy. I had two grandfathers, uh, both very different men, both very loving men in their own way. My mom's dad, uh, Wilbur, great name, right, Wilbur, was a man who, uh, as he got older, uh, had emphysema because he smoked all the time. Uh, He had come to know the Lord because he visited my other granddad's church who baptized him. He was a man who ran away from home when he was 14, so he wasn't necessarily the most uh, compassionate person. We would sit in the room with him, and he would not really talk to us until as he got older and had oxygen and needed someone to light his cigarette so he didn't blow himself up. He would call us over as eight and nine-year-olds and say, would you come light my cigarette for me? And that was his sign of affection while all the rest of the family were doing a prayer service. But I loved him. He was great. And he showed me God's mercy. And my other granddad, my dad's dad, was Donovan Samuel Hinkle. But everybody called him Pappy. And he was bald, which is beautiful, by the way. And uh, big. He was so big, he actually uh, died of a heart attack, which is sad. But uh, he wasn't paying much attention to his, his life. But he, he loved people. He was gregarious. He led worship with vim and vigor. And what I knew about him was this, that when I was at his house, that in Odessa, Texas, which was a very hot place, I could sit on his lap outside and he would let me take ice cubes out of his sweet tea and put it on his head and allow it to sort of just kind of cool him off. Now, he would get sticky, obviously, but, you know, and when I was finally, you know, 10, well, not quite 10, 8 or 9, my sister took over that position of putting the ice cubes on his head while we played. He would always let us sit on his lap, always let us be present with him, always wanted us to be gathered up. And oftentimes, that's my image of God. My pappy. Hinkle, who sat there and let me climb on his lap and and, and put ice cubes on his head. Uh, You've heard me say here even that God in his steadfast, loving pursuit for you will tell you, hey, you're sitting on the throne of your heart. Would you get off of it so that I can sit down and then just climb back on my lap 
That's where that image comes from for me. And so today, as we begin to go into this passage, as we've been talking about fear not, but if you look in the worship booklet, you'll notice that the sermon today is called Fear God. Perhaps you're coming to this and you're thinking to yourself, wait, 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 wait a minute. Now, you always are preaching about the steadfast love of God. You, you're preaching about his kindness that leads to repentance. You, you're preaching about those places where God is always in his steadfast love pursuing us. You, you, you speak to us as this God who is full of love and, and compassion. Uh, 1 John reminds us that perfect love, what drives out fear. Yet you've titled this sermon and you're telling us that we need to fear God. That there's something that needs to take place. Look at that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We see that God is calling out. This is where he's giving them the Ten Commandments again. They've already worshipped the idol as he's given them their first ones. Moses has broke them all and he's giving them to them again so that they have them. And he says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God. It's this requirement. There, there's a call for us to think about what does it mean to fear God. It, that term is said in the Bible over 200 times. This idea of fearing God. Now, luckily for us, maybe luckily, over the last couple of sermons, we talked about the fact that fear is good, that, there's not, that, that fear is actually something we should feel, that there are times and places where fear should come in. Wise fear protects us, right, physically. It preserves our relationships, and it keeps us from making a mess of our lives. And so it's good to know that. But when we come to this place, sometimes when we hear this idea of fearing God, we'll change that idea of not being terrified of God, right? But of being respectful of God. I'm not quite sure that's what the Bible is talking about. There's definitely a place for us to honor and give glory and praise and respect God. But if we look at some different passages, Proverbs 3 5 through 8 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. But not the wise in His own eyes. Fear, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, it says this, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 19, 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 puts it this way, The end of the matter, when all is said and done, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You see, we walk into this place thinking to ourselves, what does it mean then for us to fear God? What does it mean for us to pursue Him in a way as He is pursuing us and recognize that there is something to be fearful of? Or is He just like my granddad? Let me read another psalm for you. Psalm 36, 1 and 2 says this. Transgression 
speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. There's this idea, this realization that there is things in our lives that are broken. There is sin that comes in and it takes over our hearts. There's those places where we are turned from looking at God and his glory and seeking the benefit and the flourishing of all those are around us onto ourselves and saying, selfishly, I want what I want. It's that idea of climbing onto the heart of our throne and kicking God off of it. And perhaps it is because we have domesticated God so much that we are worried that we can't step into that place of fear. You see, God is our best friend, right? God is my grandpa. But when I begin to think of my own heart and I think of the world around us, I desperately begin to believe I need someone more powerful than my granddad. I need someone who is mighty and strong, who is righteous and pure, who is holy and true. I need someone who can break into the brokenness of the world and can seek to mend it as only a person with that power and might can. But we've domesticated God to make him tangible and acceptable to us. That place in Deuteronomy, we see what happens later as the Israelite nation gathers around that mountain and they see this cloud that comes down that is God and there's thunder and lightning and they shake with fear and trembling. When Moses encounters God the first time, when he comes to him, it's a burning bush that does not burn up. When Isaiah in chapter 6 walks in after King Uzziah has died and he sees the seraph flying around the throne room and God is high and lifted up and he sees just the little hem of his robe. And the seraphs are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty whose name is worthy to be praised in all the earth. He doesn't look at him and say, Can I climb up on your lap? He says, I am a sinful man from a sinful group of people. Woe is me. But we domesticate God and we make him less than he is. When in fact he is holy and mighty. And here's the thing about our hearts, the way that God has designed us, is we have to have something that we see in that way. We have to see something that is powerful that can overcome all our other issues. So, if we domesticate God and say, wait a minute, the beginning of wisdom is not the fear of God, <laughs> then we will substitute something to bring us that wisdom. William D. Eisenhower is a, an author, and he wrote in an article in Christianity Today called Fearing God, he said this, Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world out, 
we reduce him to being the world's equal. See, there's a recognition in our hearts that things are screwed up and we need something that is bigger and better and more than what we could ever imagine. Something that is majestic and mighty. Something that is pure and truth. But when we encounter that, it frightens us and we say, oh, that can't possibly be God. But it is. Because deep down, we know that we need something that mighty to deal with it. Because as much as I love my granddad, he couldn't save me from my heart. As much as I love my granddad, he couldn't overcome the evil in the world. But the Holy One, the Mighty One, the One who we are called to behold is the one that we should seek and know that in our fear He comes to us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 reminds us that we are to behold the glory of the Lord. Jackie Hill Perry in her book, new book called Holier Than Thou, How God's Holiness Leads Us to Trust, says this. That's why we are here to behold, to set our sights on a higher love, to see who Adam hid from, who the psalmist sang to, who the prophets spoke for, who the disciples walked with, and who Jesus made known. I know that holy comes with a world of baggage. We think of it and we imagine boredom incarnate. A smileless woman, an uptight man who looks as if he's never loved anything at all. From our experience with the religious and how it makes some people mean as a bull, we may think holiness looks like them. Distant, cold, knowledgeable of the scripture, and ignorant of the heart. Whether it's joyless or callous, neither describes God. God's holiness is essential to his nature and fundamental to his being. His holiness is what makes him good and loving and kind and faithful. Without holiness, God wouldn't be beautiful. And as so, because of it, he is eternally attractive. Because God is holy, high and lifted up, because he is mighty and he is the only one who can take care of the issues that we have, the sin problems in our own heart and the brokenness of the world, because he is the only one who has the power and the skill and the plan and the means and the method, because he is the only one, we see him and we are wholly terrified. Terrified to the point that we think, whoa, what's going on? Who is this man? Because going back to William Eisenhower, he says this. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego. But not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. We've got Bibles in front of you. And can you do me a favor if you want, turn to Luke. That's in the New Testament. Chapter 12. 
We're going to look at verse 4. Now, this is a Jesus speaking, and it's a, a very sort of like place that we tend to not go with Jesus. All right. Luke 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who will kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Let me stop there. <laughs> Jesus here at this moment is he's saying what Eisenhower says. Too often, because we know there is something we have to fear. <laughs> there is something that has to deal with our issues. And when we come in contact with the one who can overcome sin, that is frightful. Because there is power and might and holiness in that. That when we come to encounter that and we don't want to believe it, then we will fool ourselves and we'll put other things in place. He says, don't worry about those who can take your life. Worry about the one who can protect your soul. Don't worry about the one who can take your life. Worry about the one who has your destiny in his hands. Don't worry about those who might come. Don't put something else there to fear. Don't substitute the holy fear of God for something different just because you're worried about your physical being. Look, we need to take care of our physical being. We need to be wise with how we engage with it. God has given us our physicalness as a gift so that we can bring glory to him, so that we can serve those around us. But when we say, I am so afraid to die, then we are substituting this fear of God. And so he says, look, be fearful of the one who has your destiny in his hands. And if we stop there, honestly, I don't know. I might just, I, I might walk out. <laughs> I might be like, wait, wait a minute. Where's my grandpa? <laughs> Where, where's the guy I can climb up on his, on his lap? Where's that guy? I want that guy. That's the God I want. I mean, I know I need the other God. I know I need the mighty one. I know I need the terrifying one. I know I need the one who can overcome sin and death. I know I need the one who, but, but like, if that's where we stopped, if that's where Jesus stopped there, it would be like, yeah, all right. Maybe I'll just go meditate a little bit. But he doesn't stop there. Watch what he says. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not. You are more valuable than many sparrows. All oh, that in our fear we see God high and lifted up. In our fear we get rid of substitutes. In our fear our idols of control and comfort and persuasion and power, our idols are dismissed because God has to be mighty. God has to be pure. God has to be holy. And he is. And he says, I have your destiny in my hands. He says, fear me. 
that I care for you more than you will ever imagine. So fear not. Fear me. Know who I am. Understand my holiness. But know that in my holiness I came as Christ so that you can have entrance into this relationship like no other. So that you will know I have taken care of the problem and more than that, I have adopted you and brought you in. So that now there is no need for you to fear. Anything. How amazing is it for us to sit in that place that we begin to recognize that while we didn't know we need to be fighting, God himself was fighting for us. That when we were so busy looking at the false things to be afraid of, God comes in in mighty, holy fear and says, I will take control and I will deal with the real heart issue. How amazing for us to know that when we see God high and lifted up, we not only see him there and quake, because we should, but in fact, he looks at us and says, I need a little ice put on my bald head. And when we do, we recognize all those other things that I'm putting in his place fade away in the glory of his holiness. Let me pray for us. You are powerful and mighty. You are high and lifted up. You are holy and true. You are righteous and beyond all comparison. Words do not and cannot hold your majesty. Holy Spirit, you give us the ability to see clearly through Jesus Christ who this God is. And so we stand before him, quaking in fear. We're like Isaiah who says, woe is me. Yet you say, yes, woe is you, but I have made the way already. I have brought you in. I have redeemed you. I have made you my people, and I am your God. I am a God that loves you and moves to you. So, Father, today, thank you. God, you are merciful and you are holy, you are justice, you are truth. You do not let us sit in our mire. You bring us up from the pit and put us on solid ground, which is Jesus Christ. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together in response.